July 18th. As we look into the New Testament today, we'll be reading from the book of Romans, chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, and we'll go through chapter 5, verse 5. Now, in chapter 4, Paul went back to Abraham and David to explain how God declares believing sinners righteous. Now he goes all the way back to Adam. Adam's sin passed sin and death onto the whole human race. But Christ's obedience gives righteousness and life to all who trust Him. In our first birth, we became condemned children of Adam. But in our second birth, we are the forgiven children of God. And there are riches, peace, access into God's grace, joy, hope, love, and the Holy Spirit. What riches we have in Christ. And trials work for us, not against us, and develop Christian character. How rich we are. And now let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. July 18th, Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 5. It is clear then that God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on obedience to God's law, but on the new relationship with God that comes by faith. So if you claim that God's promise is for those who obey God's law and think they are good enough in God's sight, then you are saying that faith is useless. And in that case, the promise is also meaningless. But the law brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So that's why faith is the key. God's promise is given to us as a free gift, and we are certain to receive it, whether or not we follow Jewish customs, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the Scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who brings into existence what didn't exist before. When God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, Abraham believed him. God had also said, Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he knew that he was too old to be a father at the age of one hundred, and that Sarah, his wife, had never been able to have children. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. Now this wonderful truth that God declared him to be righteous wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was for us too assuring us that God will also declare us to be righteous if we believe in God, who brought Jesus our Lord back from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of highest privilege where we now stand, 
and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to endure, and endurance develops strength of character in us, and character strengthens our confident expectation of salvation. And this expectation will not disappoint us, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. Jesus, when He gave His first parable in the Gospel of Mark, do you remember it? It's the parable of the soils. He told that story of the farmer throwing seeds out to different soils. And then when His disciples asked Him to explain it, He says, the seed is the Word of God. And what's interesting about it is the given in that story is the Word will go out. The Word of God will be proclaimed. It will be heard. It will be interacted with. The only thing that will make a difference between it being fruitful in your life or not is the preparedness of the soil. And some of us, if we're honest, we have maybe spent every morning this year getting up, reading our Bible, but not saying what's going on in my heart, not preparing the soil of God. What's happening in me? Am I discontent about this frustration in my life? Am I disappointed in you that I haven't achieved this yet? And we don't attend to that. We just sort of read the Bible, say, I did my devotional moment and walk off. And we're like somebody that takes seed and just throws it out on your driveway and then wonders why crops aren't growing. And some of you, maybe the most Christian thing you'll do this week is not read another book yet, but it's to sit down and just assess the soil of your heart and say, God, I can keep loading into my mind all these wonderful thoughts, but if deep in my heart I feel a resentment for you because I haven't arrived at the place I wanted, I feel a deep fear because I'm not sure you're going to come through for me. I've got to plow that up. I've got to set that out before him and let him address the soil. That's what David does. That's what we're meant to do. And here with David, as you watch the bottom fall out of his life, we get a window into his intimate conversations with God. And we hear how David interacts with God in the lowest moment of his life. And as we watch him do it, it gives us a window into what authentic devotion to God looks like. And the first thing you see in Psalm 142, he says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy. I pour out my complaint. I tell my trouble to him. Do you see what's happening? As he begins, he says to God, I'm pouring out my complaint. I'm telling all my trouble to you. The first thing David does, and I think the first critical element to a devotional life, is we get honest with God. It's an honest heart that David pours out what's going on in him with unfettered access. And yet what's interesting about David is David doesn't stop there. And some of us don't like the idea of being really deeply honest with God because you know people that just cry about their problems and that's all they do and you don't want to be that person. But that's not David. He gets honest, but that's the beginning. It's not the end. And you see, as soon as David gets honest, he adds the second piece that's essential. Then he gets perspective. He doesn't stop at the emotions, but he doesn't neglect them. David has an open heart and then David has an attentive mind. He pours out his complaint, but before the poems are over, he begins to speak truth to himself. He ends Psalm 142 saying, bring me out of prison. And then he says, the righteous will surround me. You will deal bountifully with me. He begins to preach the words of God into the place where he needs to hear it. His soul in the midst of its distress. And that's what we're meant to do. I get honest and I get perspective. And then I begin to load my mind with thoughts of God so that they might stir my affections for God. Because what you think about what you care about, what you'll care about, you chase. 
Today we're reading Psalm 14, verses 1 through 7. The contrast is between the generation of the wicked and the generation of the righteous. Now the latter group is made up of those who have trusted the Lord and seek Him and His will. The generation of the wicked is composed of people who are practical atheists. God is not in their hearts, no matter what they may say and do outwardly. They can live without God. They disobey God and exploit people made in the image of God. They are corrupt, and so they do corrupt things. The generation of the righteous calls on the Lord, and He answers. God dwells with these people, protects them, and gives them joyful hope. The group may not be large, but it is precious to God, and the future of God's program rests with it. So, of which group are you a member? Have you made your allegiance known? Psalm 14, verses 1 through 7. For the choir director, a psalm of David. Only fools say in their hearts, There is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. No one does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if there is even one with real understanding, one who seeks for God. But no, all have turned away from God. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread. They wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey Him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect His people. Oh, that salvation would come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel! For when the Lord restores His people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. Proverbs 19, verse 17 If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He will repay you.